Hey, did you enjoy the patriotic medley that we sang a few minutes ago? I love that, man. Every single year. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's good. Every single year when we come to this weekend, this July the 4th weekend, I'm always talking to Pastor Jonathan, thinking through kind of what are we going to do, you know, where we can celebrate the gift that is ours of living in America. And one of the things that I really appreciate about these patriotic songs that we sing, not just when we sing them here in church, but any of these patriotic hymns that we sing is that they are expressions of the fact that a key element of patriotism is our faith, that those two things go together, that when we sing these patriotic songs, it is a declaration of our understanding that we are free because God has made us free, that we enjoy the blessing of freedom, and that we haven't just secured it on our own. We fought for it, and we are grateful for those who have, but we recognize that it is the blessing of freedom that God has given us. And this is true not only of the old songs, you know, the, the, the old uh, patriotic hymns, but it's also true of the more modern, many of the more modern songs that we sing about the blessing of being free uh, relate to or, or convey the message of God's grace in making us free. I mean, how can you think of singing a patriotic song without thinking of Lee Greenwood, right? And he's He's not that old. I mean, the guy's still alive. But his song, God Bless the USA, and uh, this, this reality that we know that we're free because, in fact, God has made us free. And we also recognize when we sing these songs that, that uh, many of them were born in battle. You know, they kind of came out of the foxholes or off the front lines of many of the battles that have purchased our freedom over the years. You're familiar, of course, with our national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. And you know the lyric of that song. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? Well, so proudly we held. And, and, and this song that says that following the battle at Fort McHenry, that is, as the sun rose that morning, Francis Scott Key was able to see old glory still waving. And, and we made it through the night, praise God. And the, and you know, the fort didn't fall, and therefore the, the country will remain intact. And, and, uh, and we celebrate the fact that out of that battle, God gave us the victory. Well, you know the first verse of the Star-Spangled Banner. What you may not know is that there are actually four verses to that poem set to music. And the fourth verse says this. Listen to these words. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their beloved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Do you hear the connection to faith in that lyric? He goes on to say, Then conquer we must when our cause it is just, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. It's beautiful. It's a declaration of God's goodness to make us free. Even the battle hymn of the Republic, which we sang the refrain or the chorus of this morning, glory, glory, hallelujah, that song was written in the early days of the Civil War. And if you think about this, this war, which was a war fought to rid America of the scourge of slavery, to, to free an entire 
race of people within our nation. And the lyric of that song which says, in the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free while God is marching on. And I read those lyrics and something rises up within me and I'm, and I'm proud to be an American. That sounds like Lee Greenwood, doesn't it? I'm, I'm proud to be an American and blessed to stand here with you today. Well, the fact is, these are the, these are the reasons that these songs stir us so much. They come from the battlefield. They proclaim the care and the watchfulness and the grace of God over our land. Now, I share that with you this morning because I've asked you to turn to Psalm 33, which is a similar kind of patriotic hymn. It is a psalm which celebrates the goodness of God in giving a victory to King David and to the nation of Israel. Most scholars ascribe the 33rd Psalm to to David, and they believe that this song was written after some unknown, we we don't know which one, but after some unknown but great military victory. In fact, you can see this when you look at verses 16 and 17 and 18. You can imagine David and his army marching back to Jerusalem and they're celebrating and singing in this way. There is no king saved by the multitude of a host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. The horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him and upon them that hope in his mercy. You can hear them singing, we, we didn't win this victory because we have a great army, and we didn't win this victory because we have a great cavalry and great chariots, and we didn't win this victory because we're strong, but we won this victory because God gave us the victory. It's a, it's a military celebration of God's goodness in giving them the victory. Abraham Lincoln was once asked during the Civil War if he thought that God was on the side of the Union Army. Mr. President, do you believe that God is on your side? That was the question. And Abraham Lincoln's answer was, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Well, there's a lot of wisdom in that, right? And that's what these songs that we sing celebrate, and it's what Psalm 33 celebrates. It is this great concern that Abraham Lincoln had, and it was David's concern as well, that he was, in fact, on the Lord's side. And so let me read to you just one verse, Psalm 33, verse number 12. And I want to talk about this blessing that God promises in verse number 12. Listen to it. He says, Blessed is the nation... Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Let's talk about this national blessing of verse number 12. Would you begin with me by jotting down what ought to be a hopeful thought for us as Americans because we're not Israelites? So jot this down. What this psalm teaches us is that every nation is invited into this blessing. Every nation is invited to live in the blessing promised in verse number 12. Now to be sure, uh, this is written by David. 
Uh, as I mentioned, it follows some great military victory. He's talking about the blessing of God on the Jewish people. And so while the psalm has a very direct application to the experience and the privilege of the Jews, of, of Israel, of being under God's blessing, the promise of this blessing is available to any nation. I would say it to you this way, God loves all the nations. If you believe that, would you shout amen? He does, right? He, he loves every nation. And I don't mean just in a sense of God is loving and kind and John 3.16 says that, you know, that uh, uh, for God so loved the whole world. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that God is concerned for and God wants to bless the nations. He loves all the nations. In fact, this becomes very clear when you just consider the, the narrative of, of the development of the human family recorded in Scripture. In, in Genesis chapter number 6, you have God's command to Noah to build an ark because he's going to flood the earth. You remember? He's gonna, he said that the, the thought of every man's heart was evil all the time. And so he decided he was going to judge the earth and remake the earth and start over. So Noah builds the ark, Noah and his wife and their three sons and their wives, eight people total on the ark, and they survive the deluge of the flood. In Genesis chapter number 10, you have a passage which we refer to as the table of the nations. And the reason we call it the table of the nations is because in that chapter, you have listed the sons of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, these are Noah's sons, and their descendants and all of their families, their clans, and the nations that developed out of them. And so you have this listing, this table of nations in Genesis chapter number 10. Two chapters later, in Genesis chapter 12, God goes to a man by the name of Abram. He'll become Abraham. He calls him out of the Ur of the Chaldees and he says to Abram, I will, listen to this word, make of thee a great nation. God said in Genesis 10, here are all the nations of the world after the, the deluge, the flood. Genesis 12, now I'm going to make a new nation. Israel's not mentioned in Genesis 10. God said, I'm going to create this new nation in Genesis chapter number 12. But one of the things that he said in Genesis 12, it's in verse 3, is this. He said to Abram, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee. And in thee shall all the nations, the families of the nations of the earth, be blessed. So what God said is, I am going to bless every nation in the world from Genesis 10 forward. I'm going to bless every nation in the world by creating a new nation calling them Israel, and then through that nation, I'm going to bless all the rest of the nations. Well, he's done that, and the way that he blessed all of the rest of the nations, including the United States of America, is through the arrival of Jesus Christ. It was through Israel that Jesus came. And through the birth and the death, the redemptive work and ministry of Christ, we have been blessed to be brought into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. God loves all the nations, so he raised up a nation to send his blessing to the nations. If y'all are tracking with me, say amen. Do you understand? God loves the nations. And he wanted to bless all of the nations. And so Jesus comes, the blessing of the nations, Jesus lives the perfect life that we could never live, dies on the cross, is buried, 
rises from the dead. After 40 days, he's ascending back to the Father. But the very last thing that he said before he left the earth is this. He told his disciples that they were to go and preach the gospel to whom? To all the nations. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In the great commandment, he said, go into all the world, into every nation, and carry the gospel. And so that was their command. Now, they didn't follow through with that command very readily. They hung out in Jerusalem. They didn't carry the command out as they were to have done. And so God sent persecution. And persecution caused the church to scatter and began to preach to other nations throughout the Roman Empire and beyond. Until finally, in Acts chapter number 10, Peter finally understands it fully and affirms in Acts chapter 10 that any person from any nation can receive the gospel. And so the church begins to carry the gospel to the nations. And in fact, Revelation tells us that heaven will be a place populated by people from every nation under heaven. Heaven will be a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-national gathering of people redeemed by the grace of God from all around the world. Won't that be a beautiful thing? In fact, listen to what Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 says. It says, and they, speaking of these people in heaven, they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. And to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred, it's every family, every language, every people group, and every nation. So here's the fact. God loves the nations. Okay? In, in Psalm 33, verse number 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Which means that any nation can receive the blessing of God if they will, in fact, make God their Lord. The word blessed in verse number 12 means to be fortunate or to be happy. It's very similar to the New Testament word for blessed, which means to have God's good fortune or to live under God's blessing. Here's the translation. Any nation, Psalm 33, 12, any nation that will make God their Lord can live under the good fortune of God's grace in their, in their national experience. They can live under the blessing of God. Well, what might that look like? What would, it, what would it look like to say we are a blessed nation? If we say America is blessed, what's the evidence of that? What is the evidence of a nation being blessed? He tells us in this passage, first of all, look at verse number 18, chapter 33, verse number 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him and upon them that hope in his mercy. Write this word down. We know we are a blessed land when we are living under God's guardianship. There's the word, God's guardianship. Verse number 18 says, his eyes are watching his eyes are upon them that fear him. It's the idea that a land is blessed when God is looking over them and guarding them, watching them with his eyes. It's like a parent who would watch their child in a, in a room or out in a field with hundreds and hundreds of people. The one child that would have that parent's attention the whole time would be his or her child because they're guarding 
over that child. This happened just in our experience a couple of nights ago. We were in a, at an event with a huge crowd out on a field and our daughter was there with our little grandson, two years old, and I watched her watch him and her eyes never left him. He was everywhere. You know, for a two-year-old, an open field says, run! And he obeyed. <laughs> and she was just watching him constantly. And then periodically she'd have to, she'd call for him. And like most two-year-olds, he doesn't hear well. And he would keep going. And she would have to get up and go after him. And it was one of the great joys of my life, sitting comfortably in my chair, watching her run after him. <laughs> so this is great. This is why we have grandkids. And she was guarding him. This is the blessing of God over a land, when God watches over. You know, the judgment of God on a land is not necessarily that he sends some great military force to conquer that land or that there's a famine in that land. It is just that God just turns away and leaves that land to themselves. The second blessing that he talks about in verse number 19 of chapter number 33 is the blessing of his protection. And this flows, obviously, from his guardianship. He watches so that, verse number 19 says, he might deliver that nation, deliver their soul from death. And keep them alive in famine. When God blesses a nation, he watches and guards them so that he might rescue them and resuscitate them and sustain them. Number three, the third blessing is his help. You see this in verse 20. For our soul waits for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. That means he walks alongside of us and he supports us. He is with us. To be blessed is to have this mighty God present with us, watching over us and protecting and supporting us. And then verse 22 says, Let thy mercy be upon us, O Lord, according, to your, according as we hope in thee. That's the fourth word of blessing. It's the word mercy. The Hebrew word is hesed. It's his loving kindness, his, his faithfulness to us. Now think about this. A nation that is blessed of God is a nation who enjoys God's watchful guardianship, caring for them, supporting them, walking through their national experience with them and giving them his loving kindness and steadfast faithfulness all through their days. And I think you would agree with me that the United States of America for over two centuries enjoyed this kind of blessing from God. Do you agree? Sure. We have had God's blessing. Now why? Why would God choose to bless America like that? Not every nation can claim that kind of blessing, anything like the blessing that America has received from God. Why has America been blessed? Well, I would suggest to you simply because in the beginning of this land, our founders and the population in general, not to say that every pilgrim that arrived here, every person that arrived in the new land was a follower of Jesus, but by and large and in the culture, that our founders determined that we would make the Lord our God. By the way, this is evidenced plainly in the first two paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence, which state plainly that our freedom, the reason we were declaring freedom, had been, those freedoms had been provided to us by God and that he was the one who gave us these certain unalienable rights. 
Blessed, he says in verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The word God here is El, E-L, El, or Elohim, or El Shaddai. It is this word for God that says he is the almighty God, the I am, the all in all. He's everything, the mighty, majestic God. And when we know who he is and we make that God our Lord, the word Lord is Yahweh or Jehovah. It means my personal Lord. Blessed will be the nation that says of that mighty God, I will make him my Lord. That nation will be blessed. And so if we know that that's the the pathway to blessing and every nation can experience that blessing, then how do we get on the path? Let me talk to you for just a few minutes about this pathway of a nation to divine blessing. How how does a nation get on the pathway of blessing? How does a nation make God their Lord? Or maybe in the case of America, how does a nation remake God their Lord? Well, I think the passage in Psalm 33, this psalm, of victory, declaring God's blessing on Israel is instructive to us because all of the blessings that are described beginning in verse 12 down through verse number 22, those blessings of guardianship and protection and help and mercy, all those blessings result from the affirmations that are made in the beginning part of the psalm, the things that they're affirming to be true beginning in verse number 1. Write this down. I think you'll see this in the psalm. It is that any nation that wants to be blessed must, number one, acknowledge the Lord. Any nation that wants to be blessed must acknowledge the Lord. Listen to verse four. For the word of the Lord is right and all of his works are done in truth. Everything that he does, he does in truth. Verse number four is talking about the character of God. It's acknowledging. Do you know what's true about God? He's always good. He's always right. In his nature, in his character, he can be nothing but righteous and true. And as a result of that, verse number five says, because he is righteous and true, he therefore loves righteousness and judgment. And the earth experiences his goodness. In verse number five, he's talking about the outworking of his inward character. God is righteous and true, therefore everything that he does is good and is just. Verses six and seven, verse number nine, these verses affirm his power. Verse number six, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays them up in the depth and storehouses. Verse number nine, for he spake and it was done. That's fiat creation. He spoke it into being. For he spake and it was done. He commanded it in creation stood fast. Any nation that wants to be blessed must acknowledge the goodness of God, the justice of God, the righteousness of God, and the power of God. I believe that the United States has done this. Secondly, any nation that is going to be blessed must reverence the Lord. Look at verse 8. Let all the earth, how many people, how much of the earth? All the earth. Let every nation, let all the earth fear the Lord and let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. 
when he talks about fearing the Lord, standing in awe of him, he's speaking of reverence, having a reverence for God. That when I recognize that this mighty God who is always right and perfect in all that he does, the creator of everything, when that's true of who he is, well, the only reasonable response to that is, is wonder and, and awe, really terror, reverent fear. He says that every nation ought to reverence the Lord. This requires humility. Personally, it requires humility. And nationally, it requires humility. And one of the great things about a nation that will be blessed is that nations often begin with humility, but when they experience the blessing of God, they become arrogant. If I'm going to reverence the Lord, it requires personal and national humility. Proverbs 9 and verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord, when I tremble in his presence, that reverent fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you want to have understanding, that verse goes on to say, then you need to know that he is holy. Every nation can be blessed. But any nation that will be blessed must acknowledge the Lord. We must exalt the Lord, must reverence the Lord. That's the third thing. Verses one through three, we must exalt the Lord. Verse one says, rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise is beautiful for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song and play skillfully with a loud noise. Any nation that will be blessed must praise the Lord, must exalt the Lord. You can, you can see David coming back. I mean, David was a musician, right? He was a song writer, a psalm writer. He was a worshiper. And you can see him coming back and hearing some of his soldiers say, high five, man, way to go. We, we got them. We, we won that battle. And David's going, no, 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 hey. You praise the Lord because God gave us this victory and you worship him. You, you stop singing to yourself and you start singing to him. Any nation that will be blessed must be a worshiping, God-exalting nation. Did you know that in the year 1791, mere months after America gained its freedom from, from uh, Britain, uh, Great Britain, uh, mere months after we, we gained our freedom from the royal crown, our first president, George Washington, commissioned the building well, really, he hired an architect to design the capital, Washington, D.C. But as a part of that city, he, he um, instructed that one of the most beautiful and first buildings was to be a national cathedral, which he called a national church for the nation to worship. Now, it took over 100 years for that building to be completed, really more than that, about 150 years for that building to be completed. But it began, President Washington said, we must have a place for our nation to worship. Every nation can be blessed, and every nation that will be blessed must take these first three steps down the pathway of blessing, acknowledging the Lord and reverencing the Lord and worshiping the Lord. And it's my opinion. I can't speak with great authority about this. It's just the way that I see the world in these days. But it would appear to me that America took those steps in the beginning. And in recent history, we have begun to back, back down that path. And in fact, have turned our back, and it seems as if sometimes we're running as fast as we can out of that path. Any nation that would be blessed must acknowledge the Lord. We refuse to acknowledge 
his very existence. We have talked about the fact that we, we have created an entire, an entire pseudoscience in determining that, that he is not even our creator and that in fact we can be our own gods because there is no God other than ourselves. We refuse to acknowledge him. We, we have blocked him from public discourse and civil discourse. We reject and dismiss his commands and even mock his commands. And we refuse to pray or to praise him. And so it would seem to me, and again, it's my opinion, you may disagree, but it's my view of our national experience in this moment that we no longer live under the blessing of God. And that the blessing that we have enjoyed has now been taken away because we have refused to acknowledge and reverence and exalt the Lord. And so you might say, well, so what do we do? I mean, is there hope, right? Is this your, is this your Independence Day message, Pastor? <laughs> like, it's over, go home. <laughs> is there any hope for America? Well, praise God, there's always hope, amen? God is on his throne and, and we're still breathing. And so there's hope. But I want to say to you that the hope for America lies in the church. Jot this down finally. It is that the church must lead America back to the blessing. If America is going to be blessed, let me say to you that it will not be blessed. We will not enter back into the blessing of God because some political leader is going to lead us there or some political party is going to be the party of blessing or because the Supreme Court is going to do it for us or any other entity. Let me tell you, the hope of America lies in the church of Jesus Christ. It is the church that can lead America back. And I say that at least in part because it was the church that led America there in the first place. It was the church that proclaimed the rightness of God and the rightness of his ways in the beginning of our experiment, this national experiment called the United States. And so it's the church that will lead America back now. I truly believe that the only hope for America is a spiritual awakening. And it's a spiritual awakening which will be born of the passion and the brokenness of the church of Jesus Christ. It is a work of the church and no other entity can pull it off. It's a work of prayer. The church must pray. It's a work of gospel proclamation. The church must begin to proclaim the gospel unashamedly. Pulpits, once again, need to be filled with the proclamation of the gospel. The streets and the lanes and the neighborhoods need to be filled with Christians who know how to proclaim the gospel to those around us. There needs to be a movement of the gospel going forth through the church. It's a work of disciple-making. It's a work where the church must become a church not of consumers, not of a, of a congregation that come in and sit on Sunday and want to have my itch scratched and go back out, but never sacrifice, never surrender, never serve. That church will lead no nation anywhere. But you let the church of Jesus become a church of disciples sharing the gospel and pouring their heart out in prayer. A church that loves and gives the gospel and disciples the next generation, training up the next generation. That's the church that will make a difference. It's a church that's described in verses 20, 21, and 22 where it says, for our soul waits on you. Verse 21, we trust in you. Verse 22, we hope. 
in you. We look confidently to the Lord. We expect him to move in power and we wait on his blessing to come. And so my prayer this July 4th weekend, 2022, is that there will be a new moment, a new season of blessing in America where God, through his church, will lead America back into the path of blessing and that this nation, I don't mean to say that every Every American will be saved. I don't believe that's ever going to happen, even close. But I do believe that there can be such a spiritual awakening that the cultural tide can begin to shift and turn this nation back toward the path of blessing. And may that happen through his church, and may it begin at Brookstone Church, July the 3rd, 2022. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't think that our church is going to change Los Angeles. We're not going to change New York. Well, actually, our students might change New York this coming week, but I don't think we're going to change Dallas or Denver, you know. But here's what I do believe. I believe that by God's power and by his grace, this church in his spirit's power can turn Western North Carolina upside down for Jesus Christ. I believe it. And I believe if God can raise up a Brookstone church in Western North Carolina, he can raise up churches across this land that will begin to turn one soul at a time, one city at a time, the nation back to the blessing of God. And if it's true that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, then isn't it true blessed is the county whose God is the Lord? Or blessed is the city whose God is the Lord? Or blessed is the person whose God is the Lord. If we will make him our Lord, our church's Lord, our community's Lord, then I believe we can have a part in making him America's Lord again. And the blessing will come.